Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about a topic that was again requested, getting a lot of requests lately from the AT Parenting community, which is awesome. And that is like how to get our kids to own their journey with anxiety or OCD. And that may seem like a really nice, quaint idea, but not practical. But I want to talk to you today about why it's not just an idea or something that would be a great supplement, but actually it is an integral part of preparing your child for long-term success. And it's a part of our building our skills and helping our kids that often goes missed or is not talked about enough. And it's really important that our kids are at the steering wheel, that they are driving their car and that you are the coach. And I say this a lot, we are in the passenger seat. And so I want to dive into what does that mean when I say that? And it means different things for different people, depending on where you're at with your child and their journey with anxiety or OCD. So we're going to dive into that. But before we get started, I do want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They are available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. You can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com, treatmyocd.com. And like I say, every time I record an episode, I'm hearing great feedback from people who have been looking for providers for a very long time and are finally able to get a provider through NoCD. So check them out. All right. So let's talk about this idea of getting our kids to own their own journey. First of all, what is she talking about? (laughs) That might be your first thing is, I don't even know what that means. So let's break that down first, and then let's talk about why it's important. And then, you know me, I like to give you really concrete suggestions so that you walk away from any episode, not just with some information of, oh, I should be doing this, but this is also how I should be doing it so that you don't feel like, now I just made you feel bad, and now you don't know what to do with that. That's never my intention. So when I say getting our kids to own their own journey, what I mean by that is over time, we want our kids to see for themselves why this is something they need to work on and how to work on it independent of us. A lot of times we are so overzealous because we love, because we care, that we soak up all the information and then we do it to our children, not with our children. Do you know what I mean? And it's because we love them and we want to get them help. And because we're not necessarily struggling, some of us are, that it's easy for us to do or easy for us to say, and we know what we need to do, that we forget that a big part of this entire thing is teaching. And whether you signed up to be a quasi-therapist or teacher or not, That is the hat that we find ourselves wearing when we want to help our kids with anxiety or OCD, regardless of what your profession is. I mean, mine happens to be therapist, so that's kind of convenient. 
because, you know, it's easy for me to switch hats to some degree. I mean, it's a little bit different because I'm a mom, but for a lot of you, you might say, I'm not wearing that hat. That's not my job. I'm not the therapist. I'm not a teacher. Those aren't my skills. That's not how I do it. And unfortunately, anxiety or OCD doesn't really care about what you think. (laughs) And I don't mean that in a mean way. It's just, it doesn't care. It is what it is. And just like if your child's diabetic, you get very well versed in the signs and symptoms that you need to notice and how to adjust their sugar levels. And I don't have a child with diabetes, thank God, right now, although it's rampant in my family. So me knock on, knock on wood. But if I were, I would have to become pretty skilled at a lot of the things that I would need to know being the first person to respond or the first person to notice anything with my child. It's the same thing with anxiety or OCD. And similar to diabetes, we really want to foster independence. And over time, you want to teach your child how to take care of those things for themselves. Just like with my daughter with celiac, she's learning how to read the labels. She's learning what things that people don't realize have gluten in them. Things like soy sauce and a lot of syrups and things that you wouldn't, a lot of sausage and cured things and hot dogs, things that you wouldn't think would have wheat or gluten in them, they do. And so if I just had that information and I didn't share that with her and I just said, no, you can't eat hot dogs or no, 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 you can't have syrup. I wouldn't be teaching her because she can have syrup. She just has to know which ones and what to look for when she's looking at the ingredients. And we started this when she was diagnosed at eight. And so now she's her own advocate. You know, when we go to a restaurant, I don't have to worry about ordering for her. She will say, do you have a separate fryer? Are your french fries gluten-free? And if they say yes, she goes, are they in a different fryer from your chicken, you know, your fried chicken? She knows what to ask. And I'm explaining this to you because I want you to be able to see it in that realm so that we can now move it into the anxiety or OCD realm and you can see where it's the same. And so if we are always telling our kids, you know, forcing them to do things and avoiding, you know, forcing them not to do things, right? Oh, you're hand washing too much. So I'm going to just, you know, get rid of the soap. We're not going to talk about it too much because you don't want to talk about it, but I'm just going to get rid of the soap. Or I've learned that talking to your OCD grows it. So I'm just going to stop talking to your OCD. The learning aspect, the knowledge building is so incredibly important. And unintentionally, it's the, it's the component that I feel gets missed the most. And it's the missing piece of the recipe that tends to cause things to kind of crumble. And so I want to talk about how to avoid that and what to do instead. Before I dive into that too, I want to mention why is this important at all? And that is because in a perfect world, which hopefully we will all live in down the road, our kids aren't going to be living with us. I mean, that's the hope, right? If we want our kids to be healthy, they're going to be on their own. They're going to be living with partners and roommates. They're going to be maybe going off to college or have their own jobs. We don't want them to have to call from afar and say, mom or dad, how do I do this? Or I can't handle this. And then you're coaching them from a distance. Or they feel like they can't even leave their house to grow up and be independent because they need you in order to feel okay. And so what I always tell my kids, and this is kind of the language because we want to start off with getting them to see why they have to own their own journey and getting them to see why this is their deal, not your deal in a loving sort of way. And so 
that would be the first step is articulating this. Because I know a lot of you might be saying as I'm talking about this, you know, my kid doesn't want to work on this stuff. So I can't get them to own their journey. They won't even admit that they have OCD or anxiety, or I can't get them to do, maybe they admit that they have it, but they're not motivated or not able to work on their anxiety or OCD. And so I have to do a lot of the work. Or if I didn't force them to do this, this, or this, they would never do it. And I'm not saying 100% pull back. I'm not saying throw the baby in the deep end and let's see if they can swim. And eventually, because they're drowning, they will have to claw their way up to the surface. I don't like that approach. I don't think that's helpful. But what I am saying is that when you are being strategic and when you are making your next move and your next move and your next move on how to help your child with anxiety or OCD, and it should be strategic and it should be intentional, that part of your strategy and part of your long-term goal and vision is slowly pulling back and fostering independence. And I wanted to, to say that before I dive even deeper so that those of you that have kids who are digging their heels in don't feel like this episode's not for you because it's for everybody, but there's an entry point and everybody's entry point is going to look different depending where you're at. But that doesn't mean that you don't see your end goal. And if your end goal isn't to foster independence and foster empowerment and them owning their journey, then that's not part of your bigger vision. And that becomes a problem because we don't know how to get to A to B if we don't know that we're trying to get to B. Right? Does that make sense? And so you have to know where you want to head, even if you feel like there's no way you're ever going to get there, because you will. We all do, hopefully, over time. You know, we chisel away one small step at a time and we make progress even when we think, oh my gosh, I never thought I could get here. But you have to know what here is. And a big part of here is your child doing things independently for their own journey and knowing and owning that this is their struggle, not yours. So, The first thing I do is I have talked to my kids and the kids in my practice about how this is their thing and not my thing, right? And so you might want to use your own language for your kids because we all have different kids with different sensitivities about how we talk to them. And I always just share with you how I talk to my kids because I know how it's going to be received. And so, you know, change my language depending on how you'd want to approach it and how you think your child would receive it. But I have said to my kids at different times for different reasons, but it is a message that I I have continually delivered. And that is, this is what I say to them. I'll just tell you. I'll say, this is your journey. This is how I talk to my kids. So your kids might be like, what? But my kids are kind of used to this. So I'll say, this is your battle with anxiety or OCD. You know, this is your deal. I love you and I want to support you. But at the end of the day, you're going to grow up. And you're going to move somewhere else, hopefully. And I'm going to retire. I'm going to go to the Caribbean or to Hawaii. That's now my new retirement plan. And I'll love to see you and we'll still be together. But you're going to go on. You're going to pack your bags and your OCD is going to be packed in the bag with you. And I don't get to choose that. I don't get to say to you, you know, go and have a beautiful life. But, you know, leave your anxiety or OCD here. You don't need to pack that in your bag. I'll keep it here for you. I'll deal with it. As much as we all would probably do that for our kids, we don't get that choice. And so you're going to be packing that with you. And 
if I don't help prepare you on how to deal with that and for you to learn how to deal with it yourself, you're going to be unprepared when you are out in the real world trying to deal with your anxiety or OCD. So while you have my support and you have my love, I will help you, but you have to realize that this is your deal. You're the one steering the ship. You're the one in the driver's seat. I'm here to coach you and support you. And I can't do more than what you want to do because I can't get into your head and change your thoughts or change your actions. I can't get in your head and stop you from doing compulsions. You can sneak them or hide them or do them mentally in your head. And I won't be able to, to know. I'm not the OCD police. But the only person you're cheating is yourself because this is a you battle, not a me battle. This is a you journey, not a me journey. And as much as I would like it to make it a we journey, I can't. But you get my point, right? Is we want to convey. And I, I, have, I have kind of given different renditions of that speech at different times. Sometimes when I feel like I'm doing more for my kids than they're doing for themselves. Sometimes I've given that speech to clients that I've worked with in my practice when I felt like I was doing more than they were, or their parent was doing more than they were. I would say, I'm your therapist. You know, I can't come with you. You know, I'd say the same thing, but as a therapist. And so sometimes that's scary for my kids to hear, but it's also a wake up call for them to realize that I don't got this, right? Because I think a lot of times our kids depend on us and they think, my mom's got this, my dad's got this. Especially if you're one of those parents who is diving deep into all the resources, which, you know, bravo to you, that is what you should be doing. But I find that sometimes parents can swing too far to the extreme where the child thinks like, this is your deal. Like you're such a cheerleader that you've taken over the game. So not only are you cheerleading from the sidelines, but you're actually trying to go onto the field and play the game for your child. That's not going to work. And in fact, what it does is it makes your child not even try because they figure my mom's got this or she'll tell me what to do or she'll fix this for me. Or if I'm having a bad feeling, she'll tell me what to do or she'll make me feel better. I don't have to think proactively. And so the first step is communication, that you are not in the driver's seat and that even if you want it to be, you can't be. And that ultimately they get to choose whether they want to you know, be burdened by anxiety or OCD and overwhelmed or whether they want to live a different type of life. And ultimately, no matter what you want for them, that will be their decision based on their actions. And that is a heart to heart that you might want to periodically have with your kids, depending on where they're at and what kind of message you need to really convey. So some ways that you can tell that you may be steering the ship or in the driver's seat of the car. I've got two analogies that I'm smushing together throughout this episode. Some ways that you can tell is that your child is literally doing nothing and you feel like you're dragging dead weight into treatment. You're dragging dead weight every day, right? So if you feel like your child is literally on the floor and you are dragging them to talk about anxiety or OCD and you're dragging them to do these things, and even if they're willing, you still feel like it's you who's dragging them, that might be a sign. Another sign might be that your kids think that that's all you see in them. That's all you talk about is anxiety or OCD because you are such a cheerleader that that is, that's become the identity or your relationship with your child. So that might be a sign too, that you are steering, you know, the ship a little bit too much. It is hard to tell because sometimes we do need to do these things, but to what extent when we are 
putting our foot on the gas. I'm going to go with this analogy the whole time. So bear with me. Let's say you're putting the foot on the gas. You shouldn't even, your foot shouldn't even be over in that area. And you're driving, you could shut your child down because you're going at a pace that your child is not comfortable with. And there are other people who the child is trying to keep up and they are wanting to put their foot on the gas as well, but you are pushing their foot down and going too fast and that's scaring them. And so now they don't want to touch the gas at all. So it is a tight rope and it is a constant tight rope because what might have worked last week, last month, last year may not be working now. And what might not have worked in the past might work now. And so you constantly have to reassess, which I get is exhausting because I, I live this. And I know with my kids, it's, it's different all the time. They hit a different developmental stage. And I feel like I'm in a totally different situation than I was maybe the year before, sometimes in a positive way, sometimes in a negative way. So let's break this down in different components. Let's talk about the first step. So communication. Let's see. I talk about five different steps in helping our kids with anxiety or OCD, and that's communication, motivation, trust, exposures and challenges, which is one thing, and therapy, right? So five different categories I want to cover that really are kind of part of the journey. And, and I have them in that order because that's kind of the order that they start to unfold is if we don't have good communication, we don't have good motivation. If we don't have good motivation and communication, probably there's an issue with the trust. If we don't have trust, can't really do exposures at home. If we can't do exposures, they're definitely not going to go to therapy. So they build on each other. You can have one without the other, but they kind of work in a linear fashion a lot of the time. And it doesn't mean that you are one and done. Work on communication and now you're on to the next step. I wish it was that way because then life would be so much easier, but it's not. You know, it's like I'm always working on my communication with my kids and it changes over time. I'm always working on motivation because what motivated them in the past doesn't motivate them now. And what motivates them now won't motivate them in the future. Our trust will change depending on situations that have happened, how I've handled things, the themes of their content around OCD. So it all will always change, but you want to be aware of those areas. So let's start with communication because that's something that we are all doing. No matter where your child is at, we're all trying. We're all communicating with our kids in one way or the other, or we're trying to communicate with them. So that's a good place to start because we're all trying to do that. So if you're communicating with your child and they are, you know, putting their hands over their ears or they're saying, I don't want to talk about this and you're forcing it. And we're not really empowering them and we're kind of going to work on trust. It's going to hurt our trust in opening up communication. And so maybe if I'm getting a complete wall, I give them kind of my speech on this is your journey. And as much as I love you, you know, I can't take this away from you and I can't fix this. And so when you're ready, you let me know because I know that I can't do anything about this. I know there's things that I can do to pull back. And we'll talk about that kind of separately, you know, so I won't feed your anxiety or OCD, but I can't get you to, to work on it. I can't get you to sit in discomfort or face your fears or, you know, tackle challenges. That's going to be on you. I'll be there to support you if you want that, but that's all I can do. So if you're getting a total wall, that might be something that you communicate to them when you're ready. You might work on communication separate from anxiety and OCD if you don't have good communication in general. But 
at every opportunity in all five of the categories that I'm going to talk about today, you want to invite them to make a decision. You want to invite them to make a choice. Don't assume that they're not going to choose. They might not. If you have a really hostile child, sometimes when I'm giving you advice, I try to think of like the worst, worst, most angry kid in my head from my practice to hear the most, I don't say most negative parent or the parent who's really in the worst situation and hear what they would say as I'm talking instead of an ideal situation. Because an ideal situation, I know the parent's just going to be like, okay, this is great. Let me take some notes. And the parent that's really burnt out and is dealing with a really, really angry, difficult child is going to be like, this is ridiculous. And so I always try to imagine that part. So when you're getting like the complete wall, that's why I'm starting with that. Then you just give them that speech that I talked about, because ultimately it's true. There's not much you can do except pull back your accommodation, look into Ellie Leibowitz's space program. I think that's really helpful on what you can do, but you can't control your child. But at every aspect of the five I'm going to talk about, like I just said, invite a choice. And so I would say to a child with communication, it's really helpful to talk about anxiety or OCD. And I know that it is a struggle. I know this is hard for you. And I'm talking to the parents that have kids that don't want to communicate. We'll talk to the other, I'll talk to the rest of you in a second. But I would say part of, you know, crushing anxiety or OCD, I always always use the word crushing because we don't get rid of anxiety or OCD. And some people don't like the word fight because we don't want to really like, people don't want to perceive it as a battle. I'm still okay with the word fight, but I try to avoid that. So I talk about crushing. And so I might say that part of crushing anxiety or OCD is actually talking about it because the more you can't talk about it, the more you can't get help. And the more you can't get help, the longer it sticks around. And so actually a big challenge or exposure is just talking about it. And then you might invite them for a choice. You know, I'm happy to help you get used to talking about anxiety or OCD. Would there be a time that you'd want to schedule in our weekly schedule where you and I sit down and talk about it? And so if they say yes, right, don't assume. You never know. An invitation to once a week might be something that they can handle. I am very big on behavior modification around anxiety or OCD. And so I might say you can earn five bravery points if you are able to, you know, have a conversation with me for five minutes about it. But again, it's your choice because I'm not going to force you to do these things that are actually just designed to help you, right? So you want to weave in that language through everything you're saying because it's a message over and over again that says, this is your journey. This is your journey, not mine, right? And so I naturally weave that into everything I say to my kids. And they've owned their journey. They realize this is not mom's deal. I mean, they'd like to tell me things partly, I think, because they know like they're going to get a, a really positive reaction from me when they come over and they say, Mom, I think I discovered a new OCD theme, or Mom, OCD was bothering me, but I did this back to OCD. I get a lot of that in my house, especially for my son. And I think it's because he gets that positive reinforcement. You know, it's like I am so much like Miss OCD USA that I think he knows that's something that would make me proud, even though I don't want it to be about me at all. But I do feel like I see that dynamic in him. And I just throw it right back at him. Wow, you should be so proud of yourself. That's awesome. And it reinforces the behavior. But I do know that he's operating on an independent level. And that's the ultimate goal that we want all our kids to be at. But throughout any conversation, I will say, you know, this is your deal. It's not mine. I'm happy to help you. So if you want to 
carve out 20 minutes a week where we sit down and talk about your anxiety or OCD. I would absolutely love to do that to support you, you know, and I'll even give you 10 bravery points for that. And I'm talking about bravery points for those of you that aren't familiar with, you know, positive reinforcement. I do have a whole podcast episode on how to use reinforcers for anxiety or OCD, and I will link it in the show notes so that you can see that in case you're interested in diving a little bit more deeply on that. Even though that's an extrinsic, you know, motivator, it's not internally driven. It does still help kids own their journey because I don't care whether they do it or not. They can earn five points or whatever. It's up to them. It's not my deal. Oh, they want this new Lego set. That's really expensive. You can have that. That's fine. That's up to you, but I'm not going to pay for it. And the way that you can earn it is, you know, you can earn bravery points. But again, I kind of play this a little bit of level of indifference. And it's not that I'm indifferent at all, but I want my kids to not think that I have, I don't want them to think that I have any skin in the game. Like this is your game. This is your journey. There's, there's no win or lose for me. When our kids feel like there's a win or lose for you, and I know there is, I get it. But when our kids think that that's all it's about, it's about making mom and dad happy or, or angry, they're never going to own their own journey. And so poker face, it's a really important thing, you know, that I'm indifferent. You know, I want you to do well because I love you, but at the end of the day, it's your journey. And so communicate. When do you want to set that up? Or you might say, how do you want to talk about your anxiety or OCD? So what you're hearing is me asking my child questions. And this is what I did as a therapist too. I mean, you, if you're a therapist and you're listening to this, I mean, I would talk the same way to a client. How do you want to talk about anxiety or OCD? A lot of people find it helpful to name it. Let me explain why. What would you like to do, right? I'm not saying step one, let's name your anxiety or OCD. Step two, we're going to talk about it every day at 5 p.m. Step three, you know, I'm not doing that. I'm asking them to participate in a way that invites them to think uh, independently of me. And so I might say, how do you want to talk about it? When can we talk about it? And I'm not, you know, rapid spitfire. How are you going to talk about it? What are we going to talk about? When are you going to name it? We need to do all these things. It's more of a conversation that has a slower pace. So the communication is important. If I see that my child, I'll give you an example. And I've talked about this recently. My youngest had an issue in Hawaii when we were traveling that brought up a very new theme. And I was very gung-ho as soon as we got back, you know, home to talk about it. But instead I said, you know, that was a really big struggle. Can we talk about that? And if you think you're going to get a no, you can set up a question for success by instead of saying, can we talk about it? You could say, you know, I saw how much that was a struggle for you. And I know OCD is not going to want you to talk about it. And so I wonder, when do you think would be a good time to talk about it? So instead of, should we talk about it? It's, when do you want to talk about it? So I'm much more likely to get an answer of, this is when I want to talk about it, versus if I say, should we or could we talk about it? Ask a when question. I find that that works a little bit better with my child. may not with yours, depending on how big the wall is. So moving from communication, I just want to touch on all these. So I want to give enough time that we didn't go over an hour on this podcast, but that I am able to kind of cover all of them. So let me talk about motivation. Motivation is actually a really big piece of the battle. And it's not, even though it's external, I do this with myself. And so when I have a battle, when I have a social anxiety issue, you know, I will 
set up my own rewards. I mean, now it's intrinsic because I know that if I work on my social anxiety, I'm not as anxious in situations. And so I enjoy life better. And so, yes, like the whole intrinsic motivation is there for me now. But even when I have to do hard things, I might say, okay, you're going to do all this work in the morning and then you're going to binge on Netflix all evening and you're going to have little chocolates next to you the whole night. I promise. I do that for myself. Um, and I did that in college. I would say, okay, you have to knock out five pages of your paper and then you're going to stop and you're going to get to, it was always around chocolate. I'm sorry. You're going to eat half the chocolate bar. Sounds like I'm chocolate, uh, possessed, but I am. So, but I would build in these reinforcers for myself as a reward to celebrate. It's part of self-care. So I don't get concerned when my kids are really motivated by bravery points to buy something because I also know I've seen my son do that. In fact, today he did it. We have this thing about schedules, like summer schedules. I did a whole podcast episode on how to create a structure. Went to Europe and our structure went, you know, all over the place when we got back. We all had jet lag. We were sleeping in. We were staying up late. We were messed up, but we're back on schedule right now. And so he has to do a chore and a project each day. And they're like, one is at 10 a.m. and one's at 1 p.m. And he wants to do it all at once because he wants to get all of his work out of the way so that that he can just enjoy his day. And it's the same concept, right? It's a reinforcer. You know, I want to do all this stuff. Or he'll say, I'm going to read, you know, five chapters in my book, and then I'm going to let myself play on my VR and relax. That's the same concept. It's like rewarding hard work or rewarding an effort by having that reward afterwards. So you can watch or listen to my raw screen episode, the CPS model. And I interviewed him about reinforcers for anxiety and OCD, because it is something that is used so much in our world. And for people that follow Ross's screen work, you know, he's not reinforcement based, but you can listen to his response to that. And um, we had a really good conversation about being able to do that. Okay. So motivation is really important. I will link the episode that I have, not only with Ross Green, but the one on how to create a positive behavior plan involving exposures and things. But when you're talking to your child about motivation, it's both, you know, some tangible reinforcers, like what would be, you know, what would you want to earn? And that's kind of how I started with a lot of the kids that would come into my practice because they're waiting for something horrific to happen. They didn't, you know, want to come. They've been dragged there. And so as I develop rapport and I like, you know, validate their anxiety or OCD themes, then I start to say things like, what are you into? And, you know, what would you want to earn for doing some things to crush your anxiety or OCD? So instead of telling your kids, you can earn this, or you can earn that, or, Hey, you want that? You can earn it. If you do this exposure, the more we allow our kids to think for themselves the more hardwired all of this will be in their brain. And so less is more and more questions are are helpful. And so saying, what would you want to earn? Now, again, there are some of you where your kids will say nothing. I don't want to do this. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't want to work on that. We're moving past those kids. (laughs) This could be a future, a future you. And so have this information so that when your child is ready, you know where you're going to go next. But for a lot of you, you're already there. And so with my kids, I'll say, what would you want to earn to do blah, blah, blah. And I have them come up with things. Or I noticed, you know, that we don't 
you know, some of the older things in our bravery store aren't really motivating you anymore. Let's add some new things. I'm also watching for the things that they want, the things that they're asking for, and I suggest it. I notice that you're really wanting, you know, this really expensive Lego set. I wonder if you'd want to add that add that to your store instead of saying, I will add that to your store. Right? So it's it's always inviting them to think about whether they want that or not. And then moving on to trust. Trust is an important thing too. So we don't want to do things to our kids without without their consent on some level. And so if you are just, you know, deciding I'm going to take all the toilet paper out of my house and I'm going to give them only a certain amount and then you don't talk to them about it, your trust is going to go down because you have taken over control of the steering wheel and you haven't involved them. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing to do, but communication is really important. And so let's say your child overuses the toilet paper or they overuse the soap and you feel like you're accommodating because you're the one purchasing the toilet paper or you're the one purchasing the soap. And I totally agree with you. You might sit down with your child first. And for some of you, this is just going to be a wasted conversation, but it's an important conversation, even though you know it's not going to be fruitful because you are inviting them to participate in this journey. So the invitation to participate is important, even if you know the invitation is going to be rejected, right? I'll say it again. The invitation to participate is important regardless of whether you know they're going to deny or reject the invitation and show up every time with the invitation because you want to convey that message that this is their journey, not yours, and you are willing to collaborate and to step aside and even just coach and cheerlead if they would take the reins. So I'll kind of walk through what that might sound like. So you might say, I noticed that you are using a lot of soap every time you wash your hands. In fact, we're going through about two or three bottles a day. And so I wonder what you think would help with that. So even if your child is like, I have no idea, I just need to wash my hands. You're giving them that opportunity to think, right? And they might give you, tar- you know, horrible suggestions like, well, maybe if you could just leave a couple of the gallons, you know, by each sink, then I won't have to ask for the soap anymore. And you might say, well, that would be a good idea. I get where you're going with that, but that would just be like giving into your OCD. I'd be growing your OCD. And so I would feel uncomfortable doing that. You know, I wonder how I can help you and support you in, you know, crushing your OCD around the soap. What would help with that? And so if, you know, a lot of them may not have any suggestions because, you know, they're kids and they may be like, I don't know if I knew the answer that I would be doing it, right? But you're giving them the opportunity to critically think what would help, right? And I have been really surprised both in my practice and in my home, how many times I'm just doing it to do it, right? I'm just going through the motions and I get a good answer. An answer where I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. That might be really good or a better solution than I had thought. So give them those opportunities. And if you get nothing, you know, I like the soap or I can't help it. Then you say, you know, I agree with you. I understand that, but we love you. And us buying more and more soap is actually, you know, it's like we're supporting OCD. And if you're a drug addict, we wouldn't just keep buying you drugs. That would be really wrong. And this is similar in a weird way. You know, we're like feeding 
this issue. And so from now on, when the soap is, you know, has come down to this level, we're not going to buy any more or whatever. Same thing with the toilet paper. You know, from now on, there's going to be little predetermined amounts of, of toilet paper. And if you don't think that's helpful, what do you have any other ideas of what would help? Because that's our thought. Again, we're collaborating, going back to Ross Green and his collaboration approach. I mean, collaborating, even if you're going to get stonewalled, is a really good thing. So my point is we're not doing things to our kids. We're trying to do it with them. And even if we know they're not going to be willing or wanting to do anything with us, in fact, they're going to get angry, we're still inviting them into the process over time to the point where we're starting the conversation with, here is the struggle. How can we help you with this? So we're not starting with a solution. We are offering an invitation for them to come up with their own solution. And we have to watch how we ask this. So it's not like, here's the problem. So what do you suggest we do about it? I have a solution. It's just like cut off all the soap. But what do you suggest? The tone is really going to either invite more conversation or shut it down. So you have to be really aware of that as well. Okay, so we move on. And I do want to just say one thing about trust. I do sometimes do things or don't do things that I know are going to trigger my kids. Partly that is, you know, trying to live in a in an environment in my house that is somewhat similar to an environment they're going to to experience outside of my house. I don't want to live in a bubble. And so you have to be careful with this because it can violate trust, but it's also another way to get our kids to own their own journey because if we smooth the road out so much that they don't see they're not being triggered because we are doing stuff in our environment to make sure that there's no triggers in our environment then we're actually making them more susceptible to not be able to handle things in the real world and so it's kind of like your immune system right like it needs to kind of be exposed to something out there to build an immunity and it's the same thing with our kids with anxiety and OCD, like they need to be experiencing that in their environment. And a lot of it will be through exposures, and we'll get to that point in a minute. But sometimes it's natural stuff. And so this can be a little bit of a seesaw issue with trust. And I'll give you a concrete example. So my daughter, my youngest daughter, has a new, new-ish theme unrelated to the Hawaii theme that is around disgust. And so several themes have popped up since she has squashed her metaphobia and her sensory motor OCD around pee, not that I think those are gone, but they're dormant. A couple of other new themes have popped up, which will happen. And I sometimes see that as a good thing. I actually have a podcast episode on how to handle new OCD themes that pop up. So check out that one. But she has a new theme of disgust. So things disgust her. A lot of times it was the dishes or the trash or hairballs, things like that, things that are gross to pretty much anybody, but it's at another level for her where she can't touch it or see it, you know, the OCD kind of stuff. So I was taking a shower and I know she likes to take a shower in my room and I knew she was going to be taking a shower next. And my hair falls out like nobody's business. I have really thick hair and like I could provide enough hair for a toupee like on a daily basis based on how much hair falls out of my head. And so when I shower, like a little like hamster appears (laughs) by my drain because that's how much hair comes out of my head every time I shower, which is fine. 
so I saw it on the drain, you know, I kicked it over and it's kind of gross. I'm sorry. And I was going to pick it up. And then I thought, you know, I was going to pick it up, but I thought I'll leave it here because I know she's about to take a shower. And so she's going to encounter things like that. She might have a roommate. I mean, but I knew it was triggering. And so she went to go take a shower and she like two minutes later comes right back out and she goes, did you do that on purpose? And I knew exactly what she was talking about, obviously. And I said, the hairball? She goes, yeah. Did you leave that on purpose? And because we have good trust, I said to her, maybe, you know, I said, you know, other people aren't going to be cleaning up their hairballs. And so it's good for you to see. And then I went one step further and I invited her into a challenge. And I said, do you want to touch it? If you touch it, you can earn five bravery points. And then she was like, oh, okay. And she went in and she did it. And that was surprising to me because I honestly thought she would say no. And I thought she might get even a little bit angry about me not picking it up. And so sometimes trust isn't about giving in and, you know, not triggering our kids. Again, like everything else I'm talking about, it's a tightrope. And so sometimes it's about not picking something up or not avoiding a word or not, you know, accommodating in some fashion so that they can feel that thug, that bump on that road. You know, I want that road to be like as bumpy as it really is most of the time instead of me going ahead and artificially smoothing it out. And so sometimes it's, you know, thinking about things like that. Oh, there's a hairball. That's really disgusting. I think I'll leave it, right? It's not like I'm putting it on her bed. That's different. That's that's really invading someone's privacy and boundaries, right? We don't get to do that. I don't think we should do that without permission. You can say, hey, would this would be, I have this item that's contaminated. I wonder if you'd be willing for me to put it on your bed or something. You can do that kind of thing. But we should not overstep the boundaries and do things in their own space without their permission. But when it comes to normal day-to-day life, you know, like if I vacuum the whole house and I want to vacuum your room, then maybe I'm going to do that because it's my house, right? I might first verbalize, I know that's hard for you to have me come into your room because you feel like your room is contaminated or that I'm contaminated, but it's my house and I would normally vacuum my entire house and I don't want to give into OCD. So it'll be different for each one of you, but being aware of trust and how you're building it and what things you can do to tear it down is important. Sometimes I take a risk and I know that I'm taking a risk that this might hurt my trust. And then like in that situation, it turned out okay. So just be aware of that. So we have two more sections I want to go over, exposures, and then we're going to go into therapy. So with exposures, really our kids need to be doing exposures at home, regardless, regardless of whether the therapist is telling you to do them at home, regardless of whether you want to do them at home, regardless of if if your child wants to do them at home, it should be a conversation. Even if your child's not willing to do it, it should be a conversation. And so when you are doing exposures at home, all too often, especially for those that maybe don't have a therapist, and so they are maybe taking my crush OCD course, and they're trying to do this on their own, or they're reading other books and they're doing this on their own. I mean, There are plenty of resources out there that if you don't have access to a therapist, you can do these things on your own and make a lot of progress if you're doing them right. And a lot of times people are taking my how to parent a child with OCD course or how to crush OCD. It's actually got kind of two different names. Unfortunately, I call it two different things, but it's the same thing. I just have one big OCD course. 
at atparentingsurvivalschool.com, you can find all my courses. I have about seven or eight of them for different topics around anxiety and OCD. And so a lot of a lot of parents will be students and they will they will take what they learn from that class and they will do it to their kids, even though the class is very clear about teaching your kids these things. I have seen just based on the comments that I get in the lessons that some parents are doing it to their kids. So I told them to do this exposure or I have them doing this exposure. And again, you want to invite them to be an architect of their exposures. And over time, you want to pull back completely and have them do their exposures on their own. So what does that look like? So when I'm sitting down with a client or when I'm sitting down with my own kids, I'll say things like, let's just take my daughter, for example, with the Hawaii situation, a totally new, a new theme. And so I sat with her and I said, I really like the idea of menus now moving away from a hierarchy, just because I think research has shown that a menu can be more effective, but everyone's different. Some people like a hierarchy and daily is more important than anything else. So it doesn't really matter how you're doing it as much as that you're doing it consistently. So I sat with her and I said, you know, what are some exposures that you would want to do for this theme? And she started to come up with some. And I said, okay, I'm going to come up with some too. It doesn't mean that you have to do them, but I'm just going to come up with my own as well. So we were brainstorming together. And then every time she did an exposure, I would pull up her menu and I'd say, which one do you want to do? Again, that's teaching her one, how to create a hierarchy or a menu, and two, how to pick her own, right? We're not telling someone what to do in a perfect world. And so we want to invite our kids to craft their own exposures. And now, like with my son especially, he will have an OCD issue and he will say, Mom, I have this thing going on. I'll give you an example. He said, Mom, and I just want to go on a little bit of a tangent really quick. It is really important and helpful to have our kids learn all different ways that OCD can show up. I'm currently creating an OCD course for kids and teens, which I'm super excited about because this is going to sound kind of cocky, but I feel like it's so good, you know, because I'm taking everything that I teach kids in my therapy practice and I'm putting it in these videos and I keep coming up with other things. Oh, I need to add this. And I interviewed all these kids with OCD and So I'm getting really excited about it because at first I didn't want to make another course because I'm kind of tired, but I've been getting very excited about this project. So I will, I have a wait list for the class. Uh, So as soon as it comes out, the people on my wait list will get a discount and they'll hear about it first. So I will leave a link to my wait list if you want to join it, if you're interested. But the reason why I went on that tangent is because in my class, that was a really big part of what I wanted to, to teach them is to be able to spot OCD regardless of what disguise it's wearing, to understand OCD in its foundational element. Like foundationally, this is what OCD is, regardless of what theme or noise it wants to present, this is what it looks like. And I'm actually presenting to the elementary school kids at the OCD conference. By the time you listen to this, yeah, by the time you listen to this, it will the OCD conference will have been over. But I am doing a presentation to the elementary school kids on this, on how to recognize new OCD weeds. And again, that goes back to owning their own journey. That, And we have to know this stuff in order to teach it. And so that's that's important too. Like you have to learn this stuff, but then you have to teach it to your kids. And so he knows that OCD is an intrusive thought or feeling or image that gets stuck in his head 
regardless of what that intrusive thought or feeling or image is, and that he has to do or avoid something to get brief relief. But the more he does or avoids, the bigger it grows. He knows that's the foundation of OCD. And so because he knows that, he's empowered to play I spy and recognize when he has a new OCD theme. Again, that empowers our kids to own their own journey. I'm not sitting here saying, is that OCD? Or you just did that. I mean, I do do that sometimes, but I'm not, I don't have to be the gatekeeper of OCD because I know that he is very well aware. And actually my daughter too, who's 10, is starting to get better at being able to identify when they have a new OCD theme. And they're very varied, right? So my son, who's 12, has, you know, ARFID, so he has a lot of intrusive thoughts about his food, all different types. You know, it's too chewy, I'm going to choke, um, it's watching me from heaven. I mean, he's had all sorts of bizarre and typical intrusive thoughts about food, all of which just make him wind up not eating. If I eat too much, I'm going to I'm going to throw up. He's had all sorts of things, but the end result is it impacts his eating. And that's completely different than other OCD themes. And the other day, well, maybe like a few months ago, actually, he said, mom, you know, I have this new thing that I'm pretty sure it's OCD and I have to like line everything up on my desk or I have to line everything up before I play my game and I can't relax until I see it all in, you know, in order. And so instead of jumping in and saying, okay, well, you know what you need to do for this or let's develop some exposures on this. Here's an exposure for you. All I said to him was, you know, it's really good noticing, you know, I mean, like you're getting really good. You should be really proud of yourself. Again, you should be proud of yourself. It's not about me, right? You, I'm not proud of you. I am, but I'm, I'm not vocalizing that. You should be proud of yourself because you're getting really good at spotting OCD. That's going to really help you in the long run because the fact that you are able to notice when your OCD is bothering you with new sneaky different ways is going to really help when you're 20 or 30, when it's trying to like get in the back door and come in a different way. So you see what I did there is I did a lot of things. One, I made it about him. Two, I kind of reinforced the fact that this is a skill that he's going to use as an adult. Now, this is something that's going to help him as an adult. And so that language and talking about things like, oh, that's really good. That's going to really help you when you're in college, or that's really going to help you when you are at a job that helps them get outside of their childhood or their current situation and realizes yeah, this is a lifelong skill I'm learning. And and you're doing it in an empowering way, not like, oh my gosh, you're not going to be able to like function when you're, you know, working at a desk, you know, when you have a job. It's more empowering, like, yeah, you're going to catch these. I can tell you're going to catch these as they come. So you're going to have a really good grip on how to handle your OCD as you get older. It's more optimistic. And then all I said was, what do you think you should do? And he said, I don't know. I've never had this theme. And I said, well, you haven't, but you've had OCD, right? And so what do we do in general with OCD? And he said, well, we have to sit with discomfort, you know, or do the opposite of what OCD wants. And I said, you're right. So what do you think you would do in this situation? And again, I could spoon feed him the information and save like a good 20 minutes, but that's not going to help him learn, right? And so instead I said, what do you think you should do? And he said, well, you know, I think if I mess it up, That'll really upset my OCD. So mom, I think I'm going to just like mess things up and not line them up. I said, I think that's an awesome idea. And I think that's impressive that you already know what to do. So again, reinforcing that he's coming up with his own ideas. And I really try not to change them 
unless there's something really wrong clinically about what he comes up with. It's kind of like the same thing in um, the AT parenting community. We have like Zoom support group calls for the kids and teens. And the kids or the teens, you know, it's two different phone calls. They give advice to each other. And it's really good advice. I mean, almost all the time. And I try not to tweak it or say too much when it's good because I love that they're helping each other without my input. Again, it's empowering that kids can help kids or teens can help kids or they can help each other. They don't need a therapist or an adult to tell them what to do. So that's with exposures. And the last one really quick is therapy. Now, therapy is tricky because many kids don't want therapy, you know, and that becomes a problem. So what are you supposed to do with that? Do you just say, okay, well, my child doesn't want therapy. So, you know, like we're talking about empowering them. This is their journey. I won't force it. And, you know, I wish it was as black and white as that, but of course it's not. You know, there's a fine line. And so one of the things that I would say to kids, or I would tell the parents to say to their kids in my practice was I would say, tell them to give it a try for three sessions. So we want to still empower them that they have a say. Because getting a child to therapy is only half the battle. Maybe it's even less than half the battle, even though it can seem like the full battle when you're in it. The other big part of it is getting them to engage. And if your child is so defensive and so angry that they're there, and that doesn't go away over time, then therapy isn't going to work. And so one of the approaches that I took with parents is tell them, but they only have to try it for three sessions. And so I would say something like this, you know, I know that therapy is scary. I know that you're not really gung-ho about doing it. I love you. And I want to see you get the skills and support that you need. But I get that it's something that you're not familiar with and you don't know what it's going to be like. You don't know what to expect. And, you know, every therapist is different. And so I want to make sure that you bond and you feel good. How about we make an agreement that I will only make you go three times. And then at the third session, if you still are really adamant about not going, I'll respect that. You know, maybe it's not the right time, but you have to promise me that you will give it a solid go, that you will really try and see if you like it, see to, you know, really see if you can like the therapist. And so, you know, depending on how mature and trusting your child is, you might have a child who's okay with that, who says, you know, like they are respecting me and my choices and I'll respect them. If you have a really hostile aggressive kid, that conversation probably won't go well. And so it might have to be a little bit more like, I'm going to sign you up for three sessions. You know, first you start with what I already said. And then if you're getting real like hostility, you say, I totally get that. And, you know, I just want you to give it a try for three sessions. It probably won't go well, to be honest, because if your child's really, really angry, they're not ready for therapy. And not every kid is ready for therapy. And it's not like medical intervention. So it's not like if you could just get them to the office, they're going to get that shot, you know, or they're going to get that medical treatment they need. You just have to like, you know, survive it. It's not like that. So just getting them to the office is just one very small part of the whole picture. And that's why all the other elements that I already talked about are really important because they will feed on this. They will grow momentum. So if you understand that this is your journey And that I'm going to help you only to a limited degree. And so I'm not going to go and save you every time. I'm not going to accommodate your anxiety or OCD. And also, I recognize that this is your struggle, not my struggle. You're going to start to realize that in the language that I'm saying, how I'm communicating. 
And then we're going to talk about communication and we're going to start talking about anxiety and OCD in a more open sort of way. And we worked on motivation and talking about what you can earn. And also, I actually forgot to, I skipped this in motivation, but I do also like to say like, what is OCD, you know, holding you back from, you know, what's OCD getting in the, in the mix with, you know, kind of an act acceptance commitment therapy kind of approach can be helpful too. A lot of times the external motivators tend to work quicker and better, but long-term kids can really appreciate, you know, I want to go on a sleepover, but I'm so anxious about being away from you. It's embarrassing, but I can't. And so when we talk about, well, we can work on that, or I love my game system, you know, but my Xbox is contaminated. You know, we can work on getting that not contaminated for you. So just want to mention that little piece I forgot to, to bring up. And working on trust, right? That you trust me and I trust you and you trust the choices I'm making for you. And exposures at home, you can start with exposures at home so that therapy doesn't sound as scary. So all of that does build on helping getting a child to therapy. But then at the end of the day, you know, it's saying, giving them some say in it. How often do you think therapy would be helpful? You know, now if your child is going to give you an answer like once a month, you know, and you know, that's ridiculous it's still worth asking because it's showing respect. So when I was working with kids, I would say, how often do you feel like you need to come? And they might say, well, I think this is great. I can come once a month. (laughs) And, and, you know, like, and their anxiety or OCD is like off the charts. And I would say to them, you know, if you only came once a month, I really wouldn't be able to help you too much because I see kids once a month when I'm already in maintenance phase, which means that they've already really crushed their anxiety or OCD And I'm just helping them make sure that it doesn't come back to the level it was before. And so I could see you once a month, but I really wouldn't be helping you. If you wanted a lot of help, I could see you once a week. But if you wanted some consistency, even every other week would still be really helpful. Now I'm doing that on purpose because I know they're not going to go for every week, but you always, if you, it's kind of a marketing strategy too. If you want someone to pick A, then you present B as well. And B is, you know, does not look nearly as good as A, and then they're going to pick A. And so I do that with kids all the time. I do it with my kids. Like, you know, you can do this, you know, which I know they'll never do, or you could do this. And that's the one I want them to do. They're more likely to pick that one. And so you can say to your child, you know, you can choose, like we could do therapy every week, you know, really roll up our sleeves and, you know, we can make it, you know, a consistent schedule. Or, you know, I'd be willing for you to do it every other week. That's okay too, you know, as long as you're consistent and you did the work in between sessions. And then they're like, you know, they pick that one. They feel like they're kind of getting one over you in some weird way, which is helpful because it makes them feel empowered. And that's really the ultimate goal is we want our kids to feel like they have a say, even if the say is small, or if you say, you know, therapy is not negotiable, but you can choose who you want to go with. and so. It's up to you. We can try two different therapists and ultimately you can choose who you like better. Giving them some sort of control in any of the areas that I've talked about is really, really important. And then eventually over time, you know, you pull back to the point where you're asking your kids, how can I support you? Or you're having a hard time. What do you need from me? So instead of swooping in, you are truly legitimately a cheerleader and coach on the sidelines. So if my child's having a hard time, I don't swoop in now and do things to them. I just say, I notice you're having a hard time. What do you think I can do to help you? Or even better, what can you do to help yourself right now? Or I might say to my daughter, 
when she has anxiety, I might say, what green thoughts can you have? You know, for anxiety, we don't do this for OCD, but for anxiety, we do red thoughts and green thoughts. And so a lot of times I might say, what are your green thoughts? Or what what thoughts do you think you want to have right now? And again, I could spoon feed them, but I want to put her in the driver's seat. So I hope that you found this helpful. I hope you found it a little empowering for yourself to say, okay, you know, I have some new language to use or some new ideas. It's subtle, but the shift is really, really critical for our kids' long-term success. So I hope that you're finding this podcast helpful. And if you are, you know, I always like to encourage you to hit a star on iTunes or leave a comment to give back to the show. That is greatly appreciated. And to end my show, I always like to end by reading one of them. I want to thank Joe who wrote, you have given me hope. I listened to you for years, Natasha. Your voice is constantly in my ear as I work around the house, do yard work, or drive down the road. I stumbled upon your podcast one day when I was seeking help for my anxious son. To my surprise, your podcast revealed that the pain I, I have suffered for more than 30 years was pure O, that I'm not actually crazy. I finally have an explanation for the intrusive thoughts I've suffered with for almost my entire life. I've been to countless therapists as a teenager and young adult who couldn't explain what was wrong with me. They told me they couldn't help me and sent me on my way. Your podcast has helped me so much. And now this past year, I've watched my six-year-old daughter start to spiral with intrusive thoughts about throwing up and needing constant reassurance that she isn't sick. But now, thanks to you and the resources you have shared, I know how to help her. I know she needs ERP and not just instructions on breathing and relaxing that a local therapist is teaching her. You've given me the gift of hope because I now have tools I need to help her. I know that she'll have good days and bad days, and I don't lose hope on the on the bad days. I now ask myself, what would Natasha do? I feel like I know you, and I sobbed and prayed for you and your children last year upon hearing you share the devastating loss of your husband. You are so strong. Thank you for what you do. You're saving children and adults from the grips of terrifying illnesses every day. Thank you so much for writing that. That really touches my heart. I'm so glad to be able to help not only your child, but you. And I feel like that happens a lot that parents listen to these things and they're kind of like, oh my gosh, you know, that's something that I struggle with and helps to normalize our own journeys. And I am glad that you are hearing this to help your daughter because, you know, as wonderful as deep breathing and grounding and all those skills are, we have to go above and beyond all that for intrusive thoughts. And ERP is definitely the way to give her long-term success. And I appreciate your kind words about my husband and your prayers. I appreciate that as well. So if you have a review, maybe I'll be reading your review next time. And I hope that you all find the sparkle in everything you do because it is so important. I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.